It's Bashomania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashomania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Kurt Angle is back on Bashmania today, and I am pumped to dive into his new documentary, Angle, which came out on Peacock yesterday. It is absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend going and watching it. This show is brought to you by your friends at Attack, A-T-A-C, Attack. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know how much I love the Attack app and what they're doing over there. Attack is an app built by wrestlers for wrestlers, and they've now expanded into football due to the success of the app. This app features video game stats meeting real-life training. You need to go download the Attack app, ATAC, figure out what your rating is. It gives you a, a rating for strength, endurance, speed, mentality, agility, flexibility. Super cool, and you can follow them on social see where some of the other top athletes in the country stack up. So download Attack today, A-T-A-C. It's in the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store today. We are back with now friend of the show, recurring guest, Olympic hero, Kurt Angle. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, It's a blast. You know, growing up, I'm both a huge amateur Olympic wrestling fan. I like how Mark Henry says that competitive wrestling. And also a late 90s, early 2000s WWE guy. So having you on is is the perfect marriage of what wrestling is. So I watched the Angle doc. It is absolutely fantastic. It's airing now on Peacock. Um, and I thought, let's get you back on and, and kind of dive into a couple of things for a few minutes about the doc. And um, for everybody listening, you need to go on Peacock, watch the doc. It's a couple hours long. It's like a movie format. It's great. So let's start here. Wrestlers don't often throw around the term greatest wrestler of all time loosely. Right. And one of the things that struck me when I was watching the documentary was how with great conviction, you said right out of the gate, Dave Schultz, greatest of all time. His life obviously tragically cut short being murdered by DuPont in January of 96. Tell me a little bit more about your relationship with Dave and from your perspective, his impact on the sport. Cause I was talking to uh, Jordan Burroughs and his family was over a couple months ago <laughs> and he was saying, who's your white whale for the podcast. And I'm like, you know, if we're talking dead or alive, I think Dave Schultz, cause I yeah. don't know who has had a bigger impact that if you could have a conversation on this podcast right now, give me yeah. Dave. Schultz. No, you're exactly right. Dave was uh, a different breed. The guy wasn't just an incredible wrestler. And when I say that one of the greatest, the greatest of all time, the reason why I say that is because he won the most titles. But it's how far he got into wrestling, how far he got into technique, how far he got into the sport of helping people and not just himself. Yeah. Dave Schultz was a frontier. And uh, what he was able to do as a wrestler and a coach is beyond spectacular. The only other person I would put up there with him is Dan Gable. And I know a lot of people say, oh, Dan Gable is way over Dave Schultz. No, when Dave, when you talk about a guy that learned seven languages, to learn about the universal techniques all over the world so he could speak the Russians, Iranians, he really let his mind 
mature enough to so so that he could learn the techniques of other countries. He was he was the most uh, complete wrestler I've ever been around. And it's crazy too because nowadays it's so much more common for international guys to learn English because they want to train with Americans. Like Yanni Diakmahalis <laughs> well, is over training at Azerbaijan right now because they're listen, learning English. It's crazy yeah. how that's that's changed a bit. Yeah, but you know what? I, I understand. You're saying that uh, people want Americans to come. Yeah. Them, right? Well, you know what? Let's let's face it. I mean, look at the last several world teams we've had and Olympic teams. Yeah. The, the, the team we have right now uh, could possibly be the greatest Olympic and world team of all time. Yeah. They've won more medals than any other team. This this team today is the strongest it's ever been in the history of American wrestling. Yeah, which says a lot given the history of the sport. And, you know, it's funny. I, I went back after the documentary and I watched your NCAA finals match with Sylvester Turquet. And I never realized how much bigger than you he was <laughs> at the time. And I didn't realize yeah. that he had gone on to do some professional wrestling and MMA. And I'm curious, looking back now, did beating a guy like that, that it's not like it's, you know, in the WWE, there's always different, there's different weights and different matchups and yes. it's more of a storyline. Back in the NCAA, when a guy's that much bigger than you, it, it's, it's a legitimate fear. How did you approach that match knowing how much bigger he was than you? And it's also, by the way, that duck was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my, that was my, uh, that, that's, that's my best move. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? The thing is, guys know it's my best. They still can't stop it. So, <laughs> that's <laughs> what he said. You know what? <laughs> I will tell you this. Um, back then in 1992, when I wrestled against Sylvester Turkey at the NCAA finals, I could not keep my weight up. I got under 200 pounds. And I was scared wow. to death that, that Turkey was going to see this. Yeah. And he did because we had to weigh in after the semi or uh, the quarterfinals after yeah. the first night. And he was behind the, behind me when I weighed in on the scale. I had uh, I put all my um, sweats on, my shoes, and my backpack just so <laughs> I could look like I weighed more. And I only weighed 203 pounds. So wow. I was literally 196, 197 when I wrestled Sylvester, Sylvester Turkey. And he was about 260, and he was a good six yeah, foot wild. six. He was a monster of a man, and he was a great wrestler. He's from my area here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. He had a great high school career and a stellar college career. And I'm surprised he didn't go on to the Olympics. I'm really surprised because I think he would have done really well. Yeah, he's so he's such a – I think you called him a Greek god in the documentary. Like, he had that physique. He had it all. Um and the other match I went back and had to watch after the documentary was your 1996 Olympic trials finals. And one thing that I'm curious about, you know, you had a broken neck and you and Chade yeah. were going at it. And yeah. this guy show no mercy. And when you <laughs> go back and know that you had a broken neck and you listen, there's always going to be heavy clubs in wrestling, but yeah. add to that, the, the magnification of your injury in this yeah. guy, if he could have had a guillotine out there, he would have. And, yeah. and you had said in the documentary, like, listen, that's just the sport. And throughout your career, both back then and even in the WWE, you know, Brock Lesnar comes over your head and you re-break your neck. 
I'm very curious how you approach that over the years where you look at it and you're like, it's just the sport. I feel like I would take that so personal. Like I'd be running, running off the mat, chasing them, you know, like, you no, know, listen, you know what, what, what they didn't show in on the, on the tape of the Olympic trials was that Dan and I got in a little fist fight. I mean, we were throwing punches cause he was attacking my neck so much that we start throwing punches and the referee said, listen, guys, you guys keep it up and we're taking the number three guy to the Olympics. <laughs> so we had to stop fighting, but Dan still went for my neck. He just continued to go for my neck. And what happened was his game plan backfired because every time he reached for my neck, I attacked his legs. And you know what? Dan is an incredible wrestler. I mean, he was a three-time Olympic alternate, which is amazing. Um, so he's he's been in the sport for forever at this point in time. Yeah. And uh, to be able to beat him and uh, beat him soundly like I did was a, was a huge honor. It really made me feel – it really – it, 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 it brought up my confidence. It raised my confidence to another level that I was like, you know what? Even though my neck is broken, it's going to heal a little bit more before the Olympics. And I think I'll be ready. As long as I perform like I did today, I'll be fine at the Olympics. It really raised my confidence. Yeah. I was telling my buddy, a close friend of mine is a chiropractor. And I was telling him the story of the Novocaine shots and this and that. And his mind is blown. And he's not a wrestling guy. I was like, I got to go watch this documentary. These stories are nuts. And even the stories... <laughs> You know, I was telling about that and the stories of conditioning. And you hear these 10-hour training for years. And I got to wonder, obviously, it led you to NCAA World Olympic titles. That led into WWE titles. Nowadays, that type of training is almost frowned upon. There's a taboo around overtraining and, yep. you know, not burning yourself out. If you had to go back, do you think you would approach it the same way? I don't know. Today, I mean, they've done a lot of studies, and they they're they're exactly right. There is a way to overtrain, and when yeah. you overtrain, you can be less prepared when you go to the Olympics or whatever event you're doing. So I I don't know if I would have trained as hard as I did. But remember, back then, Iowa was the team, and they were yeah. training like that. I went out to Iowa for the world team, and Dan Gable was my world coach in 1995. And he abused the crap out of us. And I was like, this is what opened my eyes to exhaust training. That's where it started in Iowa. Yeah. I also re read a book by Jim Mill, Do It Anyway. Incredible book. And it talks about how you got to get your conditioning level to another another, another level. You yeah. know, and uh, and he, he what he taught his athletes is how to hand fight, and stay on your opponent and get him tired. And that's what I did. I learned that from Dan Gable and the Iowa wrestlers. And when I left there, I, there was no way in hell I was going to train like them because even though I did my 10 hours, it still wasn't as much as what they were doing. It was crazy. crazy, but I did everything that I could to make sure that I was ready for the Olympics. I might've overtrained, but I think that uh, the reason um, that the overtraining didn't hurt me is because I broke my neck. Yeah. I couldn't train anymore. So yeah. I was doing conditioning and I was weightlifting what I could, but I couldn't wrestle. So uh, I couldn't overtrain. You know, so uh, those couple of months, I kind of, you know, took it easy and just, you know, coasted into the Olympic trials and the Olympic Games. And I, I didn't train as hard as I did, but I think that really, it was kind of a blessing that my neck got broken. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, it really is. Yeah, it's crazy to hear those doctors talk about how, like, your neck is so short in the girth of it. Like, it provided so much cushion, in essence, where if it was like my neck or a normal neck, like, you don't know what could happen. And, oh, paralyzation. That's what would have happened. Yeah. 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 
and you know, it's interesting because the last time you were on the podcast, we talked a lot about the adversity you overcome. For people listening to this, if you didn't listen the last time Kurt came on, you got to go back and listen. You know, between your dad dying on the job in an accident, your sister dying after an OD, you broke your neck four years, drug addictions, you have overcome so much. And I'm curious to develop that mental fortitude to persevere all that. Is your mental training similar to your physical training? Because it doesn't seem like that, like that takes a lot of mental toughness to get to that point. And I got to imagine there's a parallel between the relentless dedication and the physical training to what you're doing mental to be able to keep persevering through that. Listen, I was dedicated to everything in my life. I was dedicated to my training. I was dedicated to the painkillers. Yeah. I was dedicated to not being on pain. That schedule was crazy. Clean. The calendar yeah, so, you had of like yeah. Tuesday, call this doctor. Thursday, this doctor. Friday, it's insane. <laughs> That's dedication. I know. I Listen, when I do something, I do it all out. And and when I got clean, when I decided I was going to get, get clean, I knew I would never do it again. And yeah. it's just one of this mind frame that you just say, you know, you know what, this is what you're going to do and you're going to do it. And you're going to stay focused on it. It's a little bit of OCD, but, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of people have that, but it, it's really helped me out to stay clean. Yeah. Sorry for cutting you off there, but that, that calendar was so, I, I was like, <laughs> I man, it, that's crazy. Like it's, it's, I, I'm the same way Like it doesn't matter what it is, but you never see that side of it. Cause for most, if you're dealing with a drug addiction or you're dealing with something, you normally don't see inside their mind or you don't see how organized or meticulous somebody is to keep up with that. You know, um, I was organized with my training and I was just as organized with uh, getting the painkiller set up. For yeah. myself. That's how, that's how important it was to me at that time. Did you, you kept all that paperwork, like all that paperwork that they saw, that they showed in the doc. <laughs> Yes, I did. I, you know what? I put it away. It was in storage. And yeah. when they wanted to do the documentary, I pulled it out and they were like, holy crap, this stuff is great. Can we use it? And I said, yeah, go ahead. Use whatever you want. Yeah. So many times in like a documentary that they're recreating stuff. And this documentary was so great because it's all like raw footage, which was incredible. Yeah. Um, so the last time you were on the podcast, we also talked about all your accolades and where they rank. And, you know, you had said World Olympic champ, nothing like it. That means everything. One of the times that I got teary eyed in the documentary was when they interviewed you. I think it was after DUI. And you had mm -hmm. said, like, you went in the house, you grabbed your Olympic medal. Like, that was everything to you. And it got me thinking that, you know, most people, they have these dreams that take an entire life to accomplish. You, at 27 years old, you said after the Olympics, like, I could die happy tonight. Like I, I got my dream. What was that process like for you of then turning around and finding new goals and being passionate about it? Like you, you, it's not normal for people to just check off a, a monster dream and then say, okay, now what? And you yeah. had to do that. And, and I did. I, I, I questioned myself and, and I struggled for a good year and a half. I didn't know what else I was going to do. I mean, I graduated college. I had a degree, but I, I didn't want to pursue that degree. I mean, I could have, and I would have been okay, but I've always wanted to do incredible things that people, other people have never done before. And after the Olympics, it was like, what am I going to do now? And I tried sports casting and I was horrible at it. I mean, <laughs> when I tell you horrible, and not only that, but it was, the, I had the worst luck in the world because the first night I was on the air, um, my teleprompter went out 
And before that, I ran the studio with my scripts in my hand and I hit the producer. The papers went up, up in the air and went out of order. So now my scripts are out of order and the teleprompter is not working. And, and they're like, time for the angle on sports. And I'm looking at the camera and I'm waiting for the teleprompter to come up and nothing's coming up. And I have a producer in my ear going, Kurt, say something, say anything, please just say something. And I remember that the first uh, segment was Duquesne basketball. And I said, Duquesne class basketball play today. Let's go to the highlights. I didn't know what else to say. So I'm saying number 72 with a layup. And then the hard part comes, I don't know what sport's next. And I said, okay, time for baseball. And it was football. And that happened the whole eight minutes. It was a disaster. And you know what? It didn't get any better uh, uh, that whole year. So I decided I was lost. I couldn't find anything. WWE offered me a contract in 1996, a multi-million dollar deal. And I turned it down because I'm a real wrestler and I'm not doing that fake stuff. And um, so I started watching the WWE in 1998. And I was like, wow, these guys are actually pretty good athletes. You know, I, I was thinking there, there's a few world-class athletes on this roster here. So yeah. I thought, man, why, why not me? Why can't I do that? Uh, just because amateur wrestling is the real deal and pro wrestling's fake. Everybody knows that now. So yeah. why am I, you know, uh, keeping myself from doing it? And I know a lot of amateur wrestling, the amateur wrestling community got a little upset with me. And I understand why. But it was just something that I wanted to pursue that I thought I would love because I love to entertain people. And uh, in 1998, I started watching. I fell in love with a character named Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I started watching him, and, and, and the shows were funny. They were exciting. The matches were great. Um, they weren't like real wrestling matches. I would say, why, why is this guy clothesline the other guy the other guy's not ducking why is he just saying you know like doesn't make sense to me as an amateur wrestler it's like you know pick him up and throw him and go for the pin you know the, yeah and in pro wrestling you have to tell a story you have to yeah. go nice and slow and uh so it was it was a hard adjustment for me but i fell in love with it almost as much as i did amateur wrestling it was it was the next love for me and i knew as long as i loved it i was going to be good at it and it's so funny to hear, like, even back then, it still happens now when, you know, there's a taboo of Olympic wrestlers going the WWE route. And it's like, man, look at how big of a platform you now have to say that wrestling is the greatest sport on earth and point people back. And, yes. you know, kids, Jordan Burroughs famously said, like, he started wrestling in high school or, or younger when he was a little kid because he saw Macho Man and and, and right, the, right. the Ultimate Warrior. Like, it, it led to that. So, there, there's so much great things about going that route, building a platform, being able to point back to this wrestling. And one of the cool things to hear in the doc, you know, The Rock, Stone Cold, Ric Flair, Jim Ross, all these legends talk about your transition to professional wrestling. And, you know, it's not just that you tried it. Like Jim Ross called you a savant and, and Steve Austin and, and Ric Flair talked about your humility to learn WWE after you mastered something else yeah how important it was it for you i feel like this is lost with athletes today when they graduate how important was that humility after success because competitive wrestling is so much of a selfish sport it can often fuel yeah. ego and after yeah. you hit that pinnacle ncaa gold world gold olympic gold many many wrestlers just cash in to some degree and it's coaching or this or that, yeah. but you learn something completely new. And that takes a lot of humility to do that. 
Well, you know, I had I knew I had to learn all over again. I knew yeah. I had to empty my mind because you have to remember amateur wrestling, you go in there, you focus on your opponent, you don't show any emotion, you don't include the crowd, you don't try to, you know, show yeah. fear or excitement or anger. And you go in there and you go for the pin right away. You, you do whatever you can to beat this individual. And pro wrestling, you slow down, you tell a story, good guy versus bad guy. Good guy out wrestles the bad guy. The bad guy cuts him down, gets heat on him. Then the yeah. good guy makes a comeback. Then the bad guy and good guy, have they have uh, false finishes. The bad guy tries to cheat and win. The good guy overcomes <laughs> and wins. Right. So I had to learn all of this. So what I did is I forgot everything I ever learned in amateur wrestling. I turn off my instincts. I didn't do any offensive move the first five months I wrestled. I had everybody beating me up. So I would learn how to go at their pace and I would learn how to bump properly, sell properly. Selling means if you get slammed on your back, you hold your back and you sell it like it hurts. Yeah. So th that's really important in pro wrestling. So I had to learn all this. And I a lot of amateur wrestlers have tried it in the past but they didn't turn off their instincts. You know, I'll give you an example. I was at, um, uh, there was an uh, MMA fighter at the tryout when I was in WWE. His name was Tank Abbott. Yep. And uh, he got in the ring and he wanted to beat the crap out of the kid. And he's like, shadowing him, like trying to get after him. And the kid's running around the ring, like putting his head through the ropes, like, whoa, 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 you know, calm down. Like Tank Abbott wanted to kill this kid. And when you start, <laughs> you don't start like that. You know, you right. So he couldn't turn off the instincts, and that's why it didn't work for him. He went to WCW, and he wrestled a few matches in WCW, but they used him as a just like a, a knockout punch guy. They, yeah. He didn't really have to wrestle. But um, that that is what amateur wrestlers need to learn. If they want to transition to pro wrestling, you have to learn to turn off your instincts. You have, you have to understand you're learning something completely new, that this is different. This is more entertainment, more acting with a little athleticism. It's yeah. not so much athleticism as amateur wrestling is. Yeah, and it's crazy because, you know, it's funny now because, like you said, when you transitioned to the WWE, there was a taboo around it. And people are like, ah, why is he doing that? That's fake. Now, I feel like so many people have looked at what you've done. And we see a lot of people trying to make that jump. You know, my buddy Jacob Casper, him and his brother, the Creed brothers are killing it in NXT. Gable Stevenson, Olympic champ. He's he's coming for your Olympic champ to WWE crown. There, there's so many people now that see that what's possible. What is it like for you when you see these guys, these NCAA champions, these All-Americans, seeing what you did and basically accomplish the pinnacle of professional wrestling success and know that that's possible now and they don't just have to go and coach or, or do whatever the traditional right, route right. you know what it makes me proud it makes me proud that I, I kind of frontiered that but but it's exciting because they're part of me they're part of my sport where i came from and i've always wanted wrestlers to come through the ranks and after they retire from wrestling to come over to pro wrestling you know a couple, some examples are brock lesnar and uh, Jason Jordan, Chad Gable, and uh, Charlie Haas. There are a lot of different wrestlers that I got to work with that um, came after me. And it was like, we became like, uh, we became a group. We became a faction. And you know what? It's crazy because when amateur wrestlers uh, go to pro wrestling, they still hang out together. Right. <laughs> the amateur wrestlers all <laughs> stick together. And it's just how it is. And, and, and it's a community, you know, it's a family. And it's really cool.
Have you got to work with Gable much? I know he did the, you came out and brought the milk truck back out of retirement. Have you gotten to work with Gable much at all? Is he, he makes that jump? Uh, just that one night. Um, but I got to meet him uh, about six months prior to that when he just signed yeah. with WWE. And um, uh, it's crazy because he he came up to me and he said, hey, Kurt, I'm, I'm Gable Stevenson. And I said, how you doing, man? Good to meet you. Congratulations on winning the Olympics. He said, I just want to tell you, I, I want to be just like you. And then he goes, no, wait a minute. I want to be better than you. I was like, <laughs> wow, Gable. what an arrogant <laughs> son of a gun. Like, this guy's coming to me and saying he's going to be better than me. You yeah. Know? So, but you know what? If, if he feels that way, then go for it. I, I think yeah. I commend him on his confidence. But uh, it's going to be a tough road. I know that. Yeah, no, it, it's not easy. Uh, switching gears, a couple more topics, and I'm going to let you go. I know you got your daughter swim me, and you, and I want to get you to that. Um, you know, the last time you came on, it's funny. It was such crazy times, 2020, COVID, so much going on. Since then, we've seen NIL, Transfer Portal. So many things really changed the landscape of college wrestling. And it got me thinking last night, I'm like, man, if these NIL deals were around, when you were in college and you could partner with brands when you're seeing this news come out that this is possible, what's your reaction to it? I am not jealous by any means. I think it's awesome. I'm so happy that we now have an avenue to make more money. Uh, I will tell you this. When I won the Olympic gold medal, I got 35 grand from the Olympic committee. That's it. Now what are they getting? 250, 300, 400, 500. Yeah. So there is actually money in amateur wrestling now. And because of the NAI stuff, NIL stuff, and everything else that, that's going on right now where you can partner with brands, it gives you an opportunity to make money, which means you can stay in it longer. And that's why you're having the best USA and world te- world and Olympic teams in history of American wrestling is because they can stay in the sport now. If they have a family, they can still stay in the sport. Back then when I wrestled, if you had a family, you had to quit wrestling and get a job because yeah. you, you couldn't afford to live. I mean, thank God I had Foxcatcher and Dave Schultz Wrestling Club. But if I didn't have that, I don't know if I would have been able to wrestle. Do you think that if NIL deals were around when you were in college and you could work with one brand, who would it be? Oh, gosh, man. I, you know what? I'm, I'm such a, a wrestling mark. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it would be ASICs. I, I know that sounds crazy, but um, I've always been a, a really uh, a, a big ASICs fan, and uh, I love their equipment. Uh, now, when I get gotten the most money, I don't know. I don't know what they're offering uh, because they're so tight to wrestling. You know, yeah. if, you, if you if you take a, a another company, um, let's just say uh, what's a company it's like Spalding, you know, uh, they've never gotten involved in wrestling. Uh, they probably would offer more money because they've never been in wrestling. They don't yeah, know what little money we made, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but you know what? A6 is, is my brand and I actually love them. I love yeah. that. Uh, you shared on Instagram a week ago that your daughter, Nicoletta had practiced last week yeah. <laughs> and you're a very proud father. You have uh, six kids and yeah. I've got two under two and I'm starting to really see that love you get for your kids. And I'm a little bit dreading when my kids start wrestling because when you know so much about a sport, you you want to give them so much. Oh, God. Yeah. And I can only imagine for you 
What is it like being like on the side? Are you just hanging with the other parents or are you giving advice? I, I try. And the thing <laughs> is, I don't want to get involved in coaching my child because I don't want her to hate me when she gets older. <laughs> I have this coach and I feel so badly for him because my daughter has a little ADD and she doesn't listen the whole time. And he has to say, Lenny, pay attention, you know? And I want to yell at her, but I don't want her to uh, end up hating me down the line because I'm so hard on her. So yeah. I decided just to kind of be with the parents and keep my mouth shut and let the coach coach. And, I, and I'll just be proud of her from a distance. Now, I don't know if I'm going to continue to do that uh, the further <laughs> she gets into wrestling. If she starts yeah. having more success, obviously, I'm going to be on her a lot more. Yeah. But uh, hopefully it won't be too bad. Yeah, I love that. Um Switching gears a little bit, you know, th this one I was thinking about for a while last night and this morning. It was announced this week that Wyndham Rotunda, better known to many as Bray Wyatt, had passed away at 36. Um, I believe it, it sounds like a heart attack. Terrible news. And, and going back to the documentary for a minute, you know, Jim Ross had said, you know, his commentary was really touching when he was talking about you know, the amount of alcohol and drugs you were consuming, you were lucky to be alive. And I got to imagine when there's there's a sadness when colleagues or someone in the sport passes away. I feel like so many professional wrestling pass away too young. But yeah. there's also got to be a gratitude for you that you were able to not succumb to health scares or dark sides, you know, to the ring. Like The Rock put it, you know, some make it out, some don't. You kind of made yeah. it out of that dark side. What's your thought when you see stuff like that? You know, Bray Wyatt, you know, heart attack. There's not much you can do. It's not like drugs and alcohol and that. But still, you see so many in the sport succumb to health, to dark sides, to all yeah. that. What's your perspective when you see stuff like that? Well, you know, it's sad, to be honest with you, because this kid uh, should have never died. I mean, uh, let's face it, 36 years old, that's way too young. And, yeah. and he was a healthy individual. But, you know, pro wrestling has this reputation of, uh, you know, you have to remember what we do for a living. Okay. We travel 300 days a year. We fly in airplanes. We go to a town. We wrestle at the show at night. Then we drive to the next town that night, wake up in the morning, go to the gym, go to the arena, do the show. Then we go to the next town. So there isn't a lot of extra time. You're, you're devoting your life to it. And the travel is harder on your body. The wrestling's harder on your body. And, and eating, not eating properly because you're eating at restaurants all the time is also detrimental on your body. So it's a really unhealthy business to be in. And then you add painkillers on top of that and alcohol on top of that, it becomes really um, uh, fatal. And uh, it, it's a shame because I've seen a lot of wrestlers in the last 20 years just drop off like flies. And, and it's really sad because this business uh, has become mainstream over the next the last 20, 25 years. And uh, now a lot of people are looking at pro wrestling and saying, hey, these guys uh, are drug druggies or these guys are alcoholics. No, they're not. They're no more alcoholics than the rest of the world. There's yeah. an alcohol problem in the world. There's an opiate problem in the world. It's yeah. just that pro wrestling, there's more people dropping off than than other sports. And and it, it's unfortunate. I just think it's really sad. It, it is. It's so sad. It, it's actually, I didn't want to bring this up, but I, but I have to know out of curiosity. Good friend of mine, Kevin Resendez, 
I've known him as, as pro wrestling actually got me into what I do for a living with my marketing agency because I was building news and rumors websites back in okay. 99, 2000, 2001. And um, so my buddy Kevin, he's worked with me for the last 20 years. And, and we, we were perplexed by kind of a morbid thing. When, when Bray Wyatt, when he passed away, Wyndham Rotunda, they did an amazing tribute on SmackDown. And the whole crowd started singing. He's got the whole world in his hand. It was touching. It was emotional. It was, yeah. So my buddy Kevin and I are texting. And Kevin goes, you know, Lord willing, Kurt sticks around for another 50 years. But when yeah. his tribute time comes, what if the crowd starts chanting, you suck? <laughs> <laughs> what and they you know what? They will do it. <laughs> I guarantee it. I, I can't shake that quote from, from for the life of me. I mean, that thing has haunted me my whole entire life, but now it's out of adoration. Yeah. And you know, back then when they when I was a heel, it was, you know, disrespectful against me because I was disrespectful to them. But when I turned babyface, they thought it still sounded cool with my music, so they kept yep. chanting, You suck. But you know what? Yeah. <laughs> Day I die, you're gonna hear that, you're gonna hear that song and that it's like I, I just can't fathom, you know, a hundred of the current roster standing on the apron and the you whole chanting you suck. Like and they can't change it. They like no. You no. can do a thank you, Kurt Chip. Yeah, people like, that don't really know me are gonna be saying, How disrespectful is that? <laughs> right. Why are they kidding you suck to a guy that died? <laughs> right. Oh man. All right. Last thing I'm going to let you go. So my, my wife, um, she's learning wrestling more and more and she's loving everything. And she had asked me, she's like, what's Kurt doing now today? So last question, you know, for everybody wondering what you're kind of up to, you're retired from professional wrestling. What are you up to today? What's next for Kurt Angle? Well, I just completed a movie about two months ago called Thy Will Be Done. It'll be out on uh, live stream next year, probably Netflix. Um, I also have a movie coming up in the fall. It's an action movie. It'll be with uh, Randy Couture. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. But I also do my podcast, The Kurt Angle Show. I own a supplement company called Physically Fit Nutrition. We have a product called Smart Snacks, the crispy protein bites, high protein, low carbohydrate. Go to physicallyfit.com to order it if you're, if you're interested. And I also have this protein. I, 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 um, I teamed up with a, a company called Project One Nutrition, and they made a Kurt Angle American Dream uh, cookies and cream protein because I love cookies and milk. So cookies <laughs> yeah. and cream is the theme. And uh, so we have that. You can go to projectonenutrition.com to order that. Uh, so I've been pretty busy with all that stuff. I also signed with a management management company called Dulcedo. I've been doing a lot of speeches. I've been keeping really busy. I have a lot of appearances set up. I, I always um, want to give back to my fans. And uh, I go and travel around quite a bit, and I do autograph signings and photo ops with my fans because they are so loyal, and they continue to follow me around to this day. They're the greatest fans in the world, and I, I'm so grateful for them. Yeah, we, we got to get, we got to get like, so it's kind of up here, but I actually got a Kurt Angle action figure right there. Cause I try <laughs> to have, I try to have memorabilia from people who will come on the show. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to have to get like a Kurt Angle piece of memorabilia up here. You're going to have to sign it like you suck or something. <laughs> you got it, man. No <laughs> I love doubt. It. I'll do that for you. <laughs> well, I would love to tell you you suck. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we had talked about it before you came on, but you know, we've been talking about, it. I think we're going to try to get you on here during the college yeah. season leading up to the Olympic trials. So that's going to be fun. So collegiate wrestling fans, Olympic wrestling fans that want to hear more from you. We're planning on that. So Kurt, thank you for coming on today. Everybody listening, go and watch the angle doc on Peacock. It is absolutely fantastic. You will not regret spending a couple hours watching that. So Kurt, thank you. And we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. We'll talk soon, man. See ya. Okay. And the beat goes on.